Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to create, to produce, to build a life of purpose, meaning, joy, and fulfillment. We're going to talk about mental models, actionable tactics, such that you can go out and build and create your own purpose-driven life. My name is CK Lin. I'm a biomedical engineering PhD from UCLA. I've been a director for the University of California. I've been a startup executive. I am now an executive mentor for philosopher entrepreneurs. Being on a quest to create a life of purpose, meaning fulfillment. My next guest, he's the co-founder of Empower Education, the parent company of Health Coach Institute He's been leading virtual teams with employees in over 30 states, in 10 countries, and his company has been trained over 20,000 students, helping them, making them the top learning institutes in the world. And he is also a community builder that pull all the thought leaders together in San Rafael, California. Please welcome Eric Nooner. Thanks so much, CK. Appreciate it. And thanks, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for being here, my friend. So one thing I want to start off is pretty simple. And a lot of high achievers that I know, after they have made their exit, after they have succeeded, after they have accumulated enough wealth, they dream of having a community, a compound where they can host retreats and then they just have intentional uh, community. And I want to ask you, because you are living it. You have a beautiful place in San Rafael. I've been there and you're speaking right now in the yurt that I stayed at. Can you share with us a little bit, just paint a picture for us, the environment that you're living in. And so that way people can have an idea of what we're discussing here. Thank you for asking that question. I am living on almost two acres of mostly flat land across the way. And one of the houses is actually my former wife, her new partner, their new baby, my two kids. And then I live in kind of the main house that has a large family room area where we do yoga, a big kitchen. And then there's like offsite, like yurts and little casitas. And yeah, we've made this a little village. We have a large garden and what we call, a, what are called hoogles, which are a permaculture efficient way of building soil. That is is somewhat effortless, but grows lots of abundant food. And uh, yeah, we've got tree houses and uh, a zip line. So just kind of just things that I see as uh, a big solar heated saltwater pool. So just all good living, big long table for, for potluck dinners, Mondays and Wednesday nights that I think are, would compete with some of the best restaurants in the world. Yeah. 
a lot of people there's a cliche in an american saying uh, say, hey how are you i'm and a lot of people would say living a dream living a dream and you're really living a dream from my point of view you have a beautiful place i've been there it's it overlooks the city and it just it exudes that retreat center vibe and so a lot of people a lot of high achievers i know dream of having a compound like that as a gathering place as a hub for conscious living for holistic living and you're living it right now. So I'm curious as someone who has actually living that dream that a lot of people have, what are some of the counterintuitive costs and benefits of having <laughs> such a beautiful place? Love it. Wow. What a surrender experiment to do it, to really do community you've got to let go of control. So even if uh, this is my place, I can't operate that way. That doesn't work. So I almost have to create, <laughs> I, I have to put myself in a place that makes me <clears throat> at the whim of sorts of the rest of us. There's a little bit of surrendering my power in that. Now, nuclear occasion kind of thing, could things change and there and yes, but ultimately we're all choosing this experiment all the time. So I am co-choosing the living with these folks and raising our kids together because we know the benefits and it's difficult to relate with different adults who have different ways of being and different strengths and, and it's vulnerable. I went through divorce in community. It was very hard. The not feeling seen and appreciated and understood, like that's just human. It's just, that's the human experience. And so to feel that, not feel seen, appreciated, understood by people you love and value is so painful. Yeah. Thank you for going there right away. This is minute two into the podcast. I really appreciate the courage and the vulnerability and the openness to go there. It's, it's easy to hide out when you're living by yourself as a couple, as a family unit, but when you're in community, you're fighting that natural survival instinct, right? To hide out to whatever. So share with us, if you don't mind going to the, shall we say, what is difficult about that? And, and also what is the, what are some of the protocols that you have discovered and then say, hey, make it safe for you to continue to not fight for, but request? What is that you need as the, the owner of the place, really? Because one may say, for anyone with the most right, it would be even though if it's an egalitarian community. Yeah. Sharing that. You know, COVID in many ways has helped us like 
create the almost the governance and decision making protocols because it, it forced us to actually get clear because we we had we happened to have several guests with us as well as a new woofer and when COVID hit. And so we were anchored down with our car community, then with other guests. How many people? It was probably like 15 adults and then yeah. five kids. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And so three of them really not familiar and also not feeling as safe. And so where we were trying, we had a lot more trust embedded in how we operate and that we were, were pretty ambitious, conscientious humans. The other people didn't necessarily have get that. And therefore there was just a lot more dialogue and differences in safety. And what I learned is, wow, during that time, when you're talking about life and death, the lowest, the person who's least safe has to be the leader. Like they, they have to win that they, cause they have to be heard. They got to be gotten because you're dealing with survival. But you can't have leadership really be led by the person who feels least safe for mm -hmm. very long. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we're going to listen. But ultimately, we got to, you're going to be held in something larger. And we had to get clear on what that larger was. And ultimately, where we landed is that, like, the people who are anchor, anchoring the, this community are the decision makers. And so people who are tr more transient, like you're participating, <laughs> but ultimately you're not the decision ma maker. It just doesn't, it doesn't honor the, all that's been held for the last six years to keep this what it's been. The, the getting to that is also, there's an inclusion and an exclusion there that I don't really, go with and opt into. So I almost want to only pull that card if we really need to. Yeah. If we really get to a place where this thing doesn't work unless we get clear on this decision guideline. The executive power, so to speak. Yeah. Sort of. So I'm curious because it is an intentional community. How do I articulate it? So in company, it's easier in many senses, because you have as a business relationship, you can have your bylaws, you can have a governance structure, you can have essentially your operating system clearly laid out. We do have that. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so these are the quote unquote technologies that you have developed and evolved over the last six years. Share with us a little bit about that. And then also how firm you grasp it. And because as a, as an INTJ, as a very cerebral person, that's how I would love it to govern my personal relationships. I tried that didn't quite work. So, so I'm trying to find a middle way. So if you could share with us a little bit about how you guys are doing it, that would be amazing. I love that. I would in a nutshell, call what we do or what we commit to, uh, compassionate, nonviolent communication. If that, do you are familiar with nonviolent communication and as a style of communicating? Share, share with us, the audience who may not be so familiar. It's like you're, what's at the root of whatever we're 
whatever we're feeling is like our needs. Like we have met or unmet needs. And so that could create a lot of frustration. So underneath whatever you're getting from someone, you're getting anger from them. You're really, you, what's really there is just an unmet need that their strategy right now is to move into anger in order to get it. And it's a survival strategy. But there's a thriving self that can actually recognize, let's center, let's recognize that I have an unmet need. I am feeling X. I'm having the need for Y. And so there's a way of us as a group committing to a way of communicating that doesn't attack, that doesn't make wrong. And I'm not saying we do it. And this is like, how hard do you stick to it? As humanly and compassionately, humanely as compassionately as we can. Because I'm a fiery Aries from the Bronx. Like you set me off and you're going to get a version that's a little harsher. That might be more energetically uh, intense for yeah. people in the room. Yeah, you're a guy from the Bronx. We, yeah, and course. I've worked on it for years. I'm, yeah. I'm, my whole thing is on softening. It's been my, my journey to find more balance with my fire. Yeah. So that's one tool, nonviolent communication. What do you think about radical candor, by the way? Because that's a different radical honesty. I'm not sure if you guys try that route either. I'm just curious. What do you think yeah. about that? Just to talk about what I would say is not the rules, it's the structures yeah. of relating is what keeps us together. So it's our potluck dinners twice a week. Mm. It's our parenting meeting that we have once a week as a group of parents. Mm. It's a heart shares meeting where we really get to show ourselves for four minutes and then we get reflected back by the members of the community for two minutes. And sometimes that's tough love. And sometimes that's just, I see the, your magnificence. Mm. But either way, it like, it's better than TV. I promise you it's better than TV. I could imagine for, for people who are into it, this is, this is their, this is, this is our jam. I guess so. I guess yeah. that's it. Yeah. And then we have a house and a visioning meeting essentially yeah to just to, to cover bigger topics activism what we're caring about what we where we want to serve yeah i love that this is this is the kind of community i, I would be love to be a part of their structure and is their implicit or explicit culture rules or tools that you use you have rituals to focus on different domains in the personal side in the in the community side as well as the broader impact side so that's really beautiful what are some of the counterintuitive challenges you had talked about you asked about radical candor though and i didn't want to let I did. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Topic, because within the community, like the way we like to see it is, can you depersonalize this whole thing? Where like 
in a community, we all play a role. And sometimes in that community, we, we, we end up playing different roles. So it's just never going to be one thing. So uh, one person uh, might be prone to always want to be the truth teller. They're like, the ra- they're the ones who are like, just always putting it on the table. Like, they're like, whoa, you just went there. One more. So that's my ex-partner, ex-wife. Melanie is very much that. She is so, wow. And honestly, her partner is very much, they bring that kind of, let me lay down, lay lay down. (laughs) And then in the community, you got this more like empaths and the more it's, uh, hey, I'm going to love this. I'm going to love you into submission. And that's more... Yeah, so there'll be other people in the community. And they're, but they're, they're amazing at one thing, but they're also prone to be slippery around truth. Mm. Mm. And so it's, and so it's a dance. And there's beauty in people who are so in relation that they actually just want you to have the best experience. And there's so Mm. much beauty in the people who are just laying down. And you freaking just know where it's going to, it's coming at you. And it, believe me, when I was getting divorced though, uh-huh. was it hard? Was it hard to be loved by that truth telling? Mm. Yeah, and, that's their currency of love, right? Boom, giving you truth. If they don't love you, they wouldn't give you truth, so to speak, right? Yeah, but it's always, that, but that's not always the love language. Mm. And that's certainly in times where you're most struggling, mm. I think we need to be seen appreciated love before we're just banged with truth yeah i 100 percent agree i have a reputation for whatever reason people think that i have a reputation of being that truth teller <laughs> i don't mean to but, but it's, it's whatever i share is shared with love so yeah but in terms of Relationships, in my mind, is, is is one of the most transformational paths that one could take. By being married with someone, it's in a long-term committed relationship. It's hella difficult, right? It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care. And I would say to have 15 people in that's making it, is almost like polyamorous-esque, right? It's difficult enough to be one person, polyamorous be with the multiple people. That's making it exponentially more difficult. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share about the counterintuitive benefits or the costs around being that intentional community? It changed my relationship with my dog in that I, my dog fell in love with Ben Hart and, and Shana. Uh-huh. Right? Dog? I shared my dog. <laughs> okay. And Shana. So yeah, yeah. things that we, it's not easy to share your dog, mm. but you're surrounded by all these amazing people. And my dog fell in love mm. with them. Mm. And so I, I smile, but there's actually, there's a loss in that. With everything that's amazing, there's all there's a loss. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to like just paint rosy. 
when you go from a dyad of two people to a community, something changes. And that either brings you closer together or it brings you further apart or it does something, but it's a catalyst. And I just don't want to, if you are thinking about community, you are in for quite an uprooting of what is your life. So do not do it casually. Do not do it lightly. Do it with your heart wide open and with just an intention of doing things in a loving way. Okay. Now that's a great uh, segue. Like I said, a lot of people are thinking about it. They're uh, talking about it. They're envisioning it. Are there, again, knowing what you know now, being this for six years, are there ways to ease into it instead of just jumping into the deep end, spending whatever millions of dollars to get a compound and just, oh, let's create a project together. Because a lot of people I talk to are thinking that already. <laughs> are there ways that you can ease into you know, what you've created? Yeah, I think that the structures, in many ways, the structures of a art share meeting and a parenting meeting. And even if you just did that amongst your, whoever you thought you might want to live with in the future, and you actually held on to a structure. I mean, why these, those kind of meetings weekly builds like over time, those people know you, they've seen you, they've been on the journey with you. They've seen your ups and your downs, they can remind you that, oh, just last week you were super depressed and this week you are jumping for joy. Like how, how things change when they're least expected. Mm. And yeah, I just, I think we need more meetings, not mm. meetings to work, not meetings to, but meetings just to show who we are mm. among the group of people that we love. Yeah, most meetings are very singular domain focused, right? let's say a business mastermind or relationship, whatever, or some kind of support group of some sort, men's group, women's group, whatever domain thing. And, but living together is holistic. So would you recommend to just whoever you're thinking about living together, start to have these type of domain specific meetings or just be more of a holistic meeting right away? Yeah, I would go towards the men's type of men's women's group orientation versus business mastermind. It's really, you want meetings that are about connection and mm -hmm. trust building and knowing the real me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you for sharing this. This is really great. Any other resource you want to share for anyone who are thinking about creating their own intentional community? Who are maybe some of the thought leaders, uh, practitioners, or names that you may have come across? Yeah. I, Tamara is a community in Portugal of around 200 people. They do a lot of peace work. They're really in visiting them and learning from them, walking the talk. And we, we learned what the forum style of sharing, of kind of entering the center of a circle and sharing your heart. And yeah, we just have, they've, they've been really helpful in their leadership. So 
they've got teachings on their website. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. I'll make sure to include this link. So this is of particular interest to me, also a lot of people, because if you really think about the broader trends of, I don't know if you saw the movie Social Dilemma yet, but the sense of isolation, social isolation, social distancing even creates a lot of angst and anxiety. And I think you had talked about it in some of your previous talks that you share online is the source of trauma, suffering. If you, you know, come back to the sort of the root of suffering, a huge part of it is this lack of connection, the lack of community, a lack of relationship, a lack of intimacy. So I think intentional living or intentional communities could be not the only solution, but could be a great solution for, for this hyper growth culture that we're living. So I'm curious to know if you, since you're a technologist as well, do you feel like this kind of intentional community could be scalable, quote unquote, or duplicated in elsewhere? Yeah. I hope so. And this is where I'm hoping that people even virtually start kind of creating structures that build real connection. The problem is architecture. And mm -hmm. believe me, I, I'm scouring like for opportunities to build a, a, something that represents more of a village. But it's right now, it's looking like a multi five year project. And we're going towards it. We're moving towards it, but it's years into the future. It's going to cost money. It's going to, it's not a replicable thing right now, but can we start learning how to relate with our neighbors? Can we start sharing, moving towards decentralized food, water, and energy? in our local area and learn how to collaborate amongst each other for our basic safety needs. Like uh, that feels inspiring to me. So even if you get 20% of people engaged in this, it's going to glue the community. You don't need everyone acting like everything, but we need more than we have right now. It's way too disconnected. We haven't people taught people how to be citizens, collaborative citizens. Yeah, there is certainly hardware and as well as software. Yeah, I like to use that analogy because it's easier for, for my brain. When I see a lot of the co-living projects, they mostly just focus on the hardware, basically turn it into dorms for adults, basically. And it's very void, devoid of this culture, this richness that you had talked about. And what we've been discussing is more of the software side of things, right? This code, this culture, this rituals, this ways of relating with one another, this, this uh, ways of communicating with one another, this ways of resolving conflicts per se. Yeah. So when you think about it, what is the, the good place to start? Is it? Probably software is a more challenging problem. Is that why that you focus on the software more than, than say the hardware part? I think it, it's a great question. I think it starts with software because it's about 
putting yourself in environments where you're building community, you're building even the inspiration to want to be around these people. Mm. So for me, it was networking in these coaching and business groups and meeting people who are like trying to live into a more inspired version of themselves and live into a more inspired way of doing a career. And I was like, whoa, this is a whole other game. This is not the, oh, living the dream, but really resentful. No, these are people who are actually trying to do it. And I was like, I want to, I want to amplify that. I want to be that. I want that. And that was 10 years ago. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into the, that a little bit more. Yeah. If you don't mind honing on the, uh, the intentional community part, just a little bit more. Yeah. So I love Burning Man. Yeah, you and I are both burners, right? I think Burning Man works so well because let's be frank, there is a, I, I can't speak for you, speak for me. It's, it's limited in duration. It's two weeks at best, one week to two weeks. So I know that I get to come back to my own cocoon, my own default world, quote unquote. So therefore, I am happy to take on a new way of being, new way of acting, new way of expression, new way of being generous and compassion, all of that. So I'm curious to know, I think intentional community works, could work really well when there is a term limit that maybe a month or two months or however long, I don't know what the duration is. So people can feel free to lean in or lean out based on their own needs versus I got to commit <laughs> dollar amount, time, energy, emotions to yeah. this particular community right away. It's yeah. either all or nothing. So I'm curious to know if you feel like there is a gradation that could be possible, uh, not to cheapen the concept of intentional community, but more Think of it like um, not Airbnb, but more of like there's a term. Right? Yeah, that's fun. That's exciting. For us, it's parenting has been the glue and was the, in many ways, the glue of this idea of raising your kids in community and it takes a village and the benefit of having all this perspective of different adults who. I think it's priceless for my children. It's why I do it. It's why I still am in. I would have exited when I got divorced. The only thing keeping me in so was was the the was what I believed was most serving for my children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you bring up these kind of things, go oh, try on community for a month or two. Sure, if you're single, why not? Like that sounds fun. I would try that all the time, right? Right, but if you're not and you're anchoring your family, it's a mm. hard thing to dabble with. Mm -hmm. You kind of, you know, you kind of gotta either lean in or do your thing mm -hmm. or your, your nuclear thing. Mm. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so. There's a lot that I can ask you about just a variety of things. Why don't we actually go to your life's mission? Because you've been doing HCI for many years and you said 10 years, right? And I say HCI six years, but just my, the path to 
wanting to live it differently and getting inspired by people living it differently was 10 years. Got it. Yeah. But, but this passion to empower health coaches to thrive in health in community and in life, you've been on this mission for quite a few years. Can you share with us a little bit about the origin story of why oh, and or how you found this dharmic path? Oh, yay. Thanks for asking that. Yeah, you know, I, I bring it back to meeting a health coach in New York City and being inspired by who she was and how bright she was and how she was just doing this, just any everything she did was enticing to me i was like oh my goodness like running a wellness center running events going to these burning man parties that's how i you know found uh, uh burning man and then i got me to burning man meeting all oh my goodness not only was it her but there's a whole slew of people that are bright and possibility driven and it's like we found each other and then I was like, wow, I want to bring more of this into my default world because I'm running a New York City agency. I'm in very much the grind and the hustle of that, managing a pretty large team and in a tough industry, very competitive industry. And I didn't want to do it anymore. I was like, I was hungry for change. And met these people and realized like I should be putting my marketing to this, like the things they're about and what they're focusing on and what the education products they're creating is more what I want to see pushed out into the world. And yeah, I, I join a, essentially a business and coaching group called Mind Money Meaning. And and I met all these amazing people. And I met the people they were inspired by. And so this piggyback effect of inspiring people, knowing and learning from other inspiring people. And so all of a sudden my world goes from feeling small where I don't know, I basically know the world that is to holy cow, like the whole world is my oyster. And in that I got exposed to the idea of taking a trip to Peru and exploring this incredible experience with ayahuasca and uh, and San Pedro. And, yeah, go ahead. And again, like the seeker in me, I, I guess I was, I had reached the material success and I wasn't fulfilled. So you had that dharmic thing, I do believe there was something hungry. I had a hunger in me. It was seeking. And so much so that I was willing to go to Peru and take this thing that's going to make me throw up. What am I doing? In hindsight, I look at that. Like I'm, I'm running this New York City agency and I'm going to Peru and doing these like experiences. But I actually went with my ex-wife now at the time uh, and several other purpose-driven entrepreneurs that I, I'm still friends with today. And that life, that trip 
set the course of what happened next. You know, that mm. was probably nine years ago now. And Okay, so before you move forward, yeah. tell us about the trip. Like what actually transpired for, for you? What was your uh, mental state at the time? What did you hope to get out of it? And what was the experience and what did you receive? Go into a little bit more details. I think yeah, it'll yeah. be really helpful. Because we, we do talk about it, by the way, on this podcast quite a lot, ayahuasca, this and that. So feel free to say anything. <laughs> this is the audience that welcome this type of conversation. Yeah. I guess I, I was looking for answers and I got answers. Go figure. I went down wanting to know what to do with my life. And the answer I got was that it's not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it. Mm. Anything you do with love, you'll be yes for. Mm. And I can't tell you how much faith that brought to my heart when I look back of knowing that it was never about what I was doing. It was always about how I was doing it. And was I bringing the, the energetic of love? Mm. And if, if I was, then it was trustable. And mm. if I wasn't, then I knew I needed you to, to do my work. How do you discern if it's love or not? Is my heart open or not? Like I said, there's a contraction, feels like contraction. It's tight. It's shallower breath. Expansion feels more expansive. It feels like you take deeper breaths. It's usually slowing down. There's a rhythm of nature. It's usually aligning more to that. You could feel it when you get defensive, like your heart contracts. Yeah, I... I it's the, that idea of opening your heart is a hard one to describe, but one that I think we know it when we feel it. Yeah, I, I want to use language as a way to articulate it because what we're describing, it is a very subjective experience for sure. But I think um, the more that's one of the reasons why I ask people to describe their subjective experience here on this podcast, because I think the more we describe it, the more my audience my guests, myself have language to actually describe that is. And then the more we can describe it, the more, the more precise we could be, as well as the more normal it is that we talk about our, to our friends and so forth. That's why I asked those specific questions. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Because for me, I'll, I'll share a little bit about uh, myself, uh, Chinese immigrant, trained as a PhD scientist. This is pretty, as heady as it comes. <laughs> I really had to learn the lesson of operating purely in my head. I was numb for the decades. I, I couldn't even feel anything. And yet I was yearning for this feeling of being alive. And that's why I love peak experiences. I just didn't have the language for it. And it wasn't until I actually had my ayahuasca experience, I really had this visceral you know, experience of, holy shit, this is what 
you know, it means to have this heart-opening experience. And I, if you had talked to me about heart-opening experience before that, I'd be like, what do you mean? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. But it is a very visceral experience of, as you said, this experience of being totally expanded, the mind, the heart, the body, and the spirit, and to be truly uh, grateful. And it was uncomfortable for me at first, as any new experiences may be. But after a while, it's, it's normal. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way, right, to exert a little bit of effort to open my heart versus it's very easy for me to just close and again, go back to my head and, and focus on whatever strategies and this and that. Yeah. Everything you said, I so resonate with as well. And it's, I'm humbled every day and by my wanting to contract and wanting to isolate and wanting to feel alone. I think there's, I think it's just, and every day is a journey to reopen my heart and find ways that make me do that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's so worth it too, because for, for the younger CK who's listening to this, who may be thinking, what are you talking about? What the fuck is this? I would say, hey, try it on. You know, what do you have to lose? Try on, breathe a little bit deeper and feel a little bit, uh, feel a little bit deeper and then be a little bit more open, be more aware of what's happening around you as well. Because knowing what I know now, this connection, this intimacy to oneself, this intimacy, this connection to another is richness. It's what life is about versus, again, speaking to the younger CK, what you were chasing, the achievement, the accomplishment, the accolades, these are all proxies to this. So rather than going for the proxy, why don't you just go directly to this? Yeah. It's, it's a lot simpler, a lot more direct than you may think. So the younger CK listening to this, who think this may be woo or bullshit, you know, just try it on. What do you have to lose? Yeah, love that. Yeah. Do you have any tools, by the way, that you could share with us? Because I know that in some of your the podcasts that you uh, not podcast a uh, speech that that you have made on on YouTube. I'm doing my research. You had talked about you know how you were born in Bronx and how you learned to open your heart. So giving that is pretty, are there tools that you can share with them, the younger CK and Eric, so then they can learn and practice to be in their heart? I'll just go back to the experience in Peru, my first ceremony, where what the medicine showed me was what it viscerally felt like to experience the words that I was saying to myself. So it's like when I said to myself, I don't know, mm -hmm. it made me want to throw up. Mm. 
So I could say that now, and we say it all the time. I don't know, whatever. In ceremony, I wanted to throw up every time I said, I don't know. Why and is that? Why is that? Because it was showing me that you're just infusing yourself with doubt. And mm. to replace I don't know with mm. I wonder. Mm. But a different energetic. And, and just it's more playful. And that idea, it's like, it's not about what you're doing. It's about how you're doing it. So you're bringing wonder. You don't have to know. And ultimately landing at like, I trust myself. I trust myself because it was too painful not to. I think we've like almost habituated this way of not trusting ourselves. It's actually good thinking to not trust yourself. You're smarter when you add more doubt to your situation. What about this? What if this happened? What if this? But And so the ability to land at what's true, I trust myself, is, is when you think about tools, what tools help you get to that place of I trust myself? And so I'm shortcutting this because in this case, ayahuasca helped me <laughs> get to a place of, oh my God, I didn't even know how much doubt I was filling myself with until that ceremony. But once I was aware, then it's now I'm just seeing the gap between who I am and who I'd like to be. And I think, so what's the risk of doing these ceremonies? It's seeing that gap. Yeah. Who I am and who I want to be. And it's, that's humbling. It's just a humbling journey. But you know what? We're better off when we're humbled. We really are. This righteous, like, I know it and I don't do anything wrong and every, that's nonsense. And the sooner we actually say, I'm a flawed human like everyone else. This this life game is hard. And therefore, like I'm gonna bring myself the same level of compassion that I'd wish to be brought. And yeah, I guess ultimately you asked about tools. Every tool in the book. Every tool in the book, you name it, I'm doing it or integrating it or not, but it's, uh, and it always evolves, but to the point where I have a magic wand. Like I have a, what is that? I'm a dude from the Bronx. Like I'm showing you a magic wand, but when I'm, when, when it's time for me to stand and be strong, when the world like doubts you, Cause that's what you got to do. If you're going to actually create a movement. Yeah. Bring every tool in from plant medicine to hanging upside down on an inversion table to creating an, an entire environment based on wellness. That's a biomat, a amethyst crystal biomat in the background 
My piano is how I meditate. I use lots of things for my back and my spine to really bring openness there and my chest and my heart. And so I love this is called the universal need that allows that I run up my spine. So yeah, like what tools is just, I live in community. We have anchored in potluck twice a week and yoga twice a week. And so there's things that like my life, I, I work out with a, a coach twice a week. So my whole life is built around me being healthy and my heart being open, but it takes work. Yeah. So many things I can say about that. Where, where do we begin? Uh -huh. Yeah, thank you for sharing those tools. And, and the reason why I, I, I went right there, not because, hey, there's some magic bullet out there. That's not the point, but it makes it a little bit more tangible, a little bit more practical. I'm sure anyone, the younger CK and Eric, who wants to take on this as their path who is inspired by your story can say oh okay i can start up by having a back massager or a biomat or getting learn about radical candor slash what was the other one that you say nonviolent communication. Non communication exactly these are all ways that one can relate to oneself and or another human being and then and, and if he is ready then you can say hey i want to take on ayahuasca as well right yeah. from my point of view ayahuasca is a beautiful catalyst to hyper reality mm. it, it, it lifts this any kind of illusions that one may have any kind of yeah any kind of illusions that one may have about all of the constructs that the younger CK may have inherited from his culture, from his gender, from his parents, from his education, from even just the people that he interacted with and actually see and watch and look and say, do I want to continue to live life that way at the end of the ceremony as, a, as an example? And one of the reasons why this medicine path is something that I truly believe in. Yeah. For, for me, it's, it showed me like a way that I wanted to get to by any means necessary. Like I wanted to operate from love and an open heart and to trust myself by any means necessary. And I think I want to get that across to my younger self, that you open your heart by any means necessary every day, whatever it takes, that's your work. That's your only work. Because when your heart is open, everything else in life works out. Your partnership works out. Your family works out. So your job is to open your heart. And this illusion of, oh, don't do this and don't take this and da da da. F all that. <laughs> F all that of yourself. No, you take advantage of all the resources that your heart knows is true. Yeah, I like that. 
I, I can see a little bit of a New York coming out just now. So thank you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I got to talk to myself that way sometimes. <laughs> hey, man, do what works. Do what works. I love that. Yeah. So I, I love the question that you asked in your TEDx talk, I believe. That's what you did. And who do you want to be a hero for? And you've chosen to be a hero for people who care. And you also share that you, you felt that you weren't tough enough. Can you share a little, with us a little bit about that growing up? Yeah. I grew up in, in the Bronx. I was just a small, skinny, sensitive kid. And I think I, yeah, I just, I was nervous. Like I had a lot of energy and I, I like, I, I probably, probably looked like an easy target in certain ways, but relative to other boys and like I, and I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was like seven oh, and wow. I was put on medication that slowed me down academically and athletically. And in hindsight, I'm just like, oh man, like, why was I being medicated? Why did it have to, why did it go there? And I took medication until I was 14 or so. And, but ultimately this was like the beginning of this distrusting of myself. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't trustable. Like my body wasn't trustable. Yeah. This idea that I needed medication for my body to function. Otherwise, who knows what could happen is like the beginning of like, this body is untrustable. And so, and I think also I, I, being slower, it's like the little chip on my shoulder of something to prove and yeah, just this combination of not trusting myself and needing to prove myself or needing to justify being slower or yeah. So I, I guess, uh, I, I, but I had a lot of grit and I had a lot of will and I ultimately always found a way to rise above per se. I was valedictorian in my high school and just whatever I needed to like do, I did. And I didn't get in, into any of the competitive schools in New York because I couldn't, because I didn't time for the, I couldn't time for the test. I couldn't take t time tests like that. And so again, it was a little bit of terribly on my SATs, but I, so I had this grit, but you put a, give me a standardized anything and I don't fit the mold. And so, yeah, what I say to my younger self is break all the rules. Yeah. Break the mold. Like you're different. So it was actually a gift and a blessing that you weren't gifted, quote unquote, you know, that you were smaller, that you had epilepsy. These were actually gifts to you such that you can be more competitive be more rebellious right going against the status quo per se would you say that's accurate I mean, it's a little bit of a leading question but i actually didn't see myself as competitive I, yeah I, I was i guess i am 
I, I, valedictorian. I mean, it took something. I know. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I'm competitive. I think so. I think there's like a way that I'm like, I'm gonna figure out a way to win. Yeah. Even though I, yeah, I have this disadvantage. So, so the question that I think a lot of the high achievers, especially, do think about and ask is, hey medicine journey is great you want to soften the heart it's great you want it to be more heart center is great but i want to lose my edge i don't want to lose my competitiveness my desire my, my ambition my desire to change the world but what, you, what would you say to that because you it feels like no, I'm I'm yeah okay go, go ahead right that's actually that's totally how i found my edge was by standing for my open heart that's the that's the thing like it, why do people partner with me and build huge organizations because they know this thing is true they know this is real it's not because i'm like strategic strategizing everything like some puppet master that's not what works it's not being smarter than everyone that's not what works it's being it's, it is. It's all the things that happen when your heart is open. That's what works. So I, I think that this illusion of studying harder than everyone. And because I did it. I did it. Like I've done all that. It's not. That's not why I'm winning. I'm not winning because I was valedictorian. I'm not winning because I was top of Cornell. Like that wasn't what it's about. And I just want to, I want to anchor that home to people who think like the, these filters that we've created in our society to judge ourselves matter. They don't. Yeah, I, but, but I want to talk, elaborate on that just a little bit, right? Uh, yeah. I, the lesson is I totally get um, the whole idea. Of edge because your heart is open. You're going to not care because your heart is open. I think that's crazy. I think because your heart is open, you're actually going to have the insurance policy of caring. When you care, that's, that's the thing that's actually going to get you up. Yeah, you, you can care to compete. Like competing is, if, like if competing is in your blood, use it wisely. Use it for good. I think that's the, like the thing I'm standing for. I'm saying, use every tool in the book, just use it for good. And the good comes from an open heart. Mm. Because the good reveals itself when your heart is open. Mm. And so don't apply your competitiveness to just anything. Apply it to the game that matters for you. Yeah. Let me contextualize this. For myself and then you can chime in if you agree or disagree okay so the way i'll see it is this in the simplest form the head is about the ego in the simplest form it's a great tool for the ego the heart is more of the the soul and how do i contextualize it if i just purely focus on what my ego wants that may be great i may have the achievement the accomplishment the accolades and all these things the money and da 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 and at the same time, I may be, no, I've experienced, I may be, I experience spiritual poverty. 
because I didn't follow what I really wanted to do. Now, I'm not saying to just focus on your heart either, right? Use both. Use all of your tools to have great, you know, create the life that you want to do, to be successful and to be fulfilled. And these tools, uh, from my point of view, they, there's a great quote that says that the, the mind is a great, is a terrible master. It's a great, I can't remember exactly, I'm paraphrasing. The mind is a great slave, but a terrible master, I think. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. Yeah. So the ambition for the people who are listening, younger CK especially, who is highly ambitious, your ambitions won't go away just because you're more in tune of what you, your soul desires, what you really want to do. Yes. It actually just allows you to target your weapon. Correct. Correct. So in that way, you're, you can, you know, be a great guy, a steward of all your resources. I'm mixing uh, metaphors a lot here. Your soul is the, the elephant rider, right? <laughs> the elephant is uh, all your boosters. You yeah. Know, you know, I'm to make this super practical right now because it's, yeah. so now you get to, choose your where to put your weapon and because you have linkedin you can literally target any person you want to reach and know exactly like what you're going for because you're listening to this wisdom speaking right it's your your and you bring that truth to someone they feel it they know it oh shoot hey i'm inspired by your work i resonate with it i want to serve Reach out to somebody over LinkedIn like that, and you're going to get a response most of the time. And that means you could reach out literally and have conversations with nearly anyone if it's coming from a place of caring. And I guess that's where, yeah, when you know how to apply your mind, you get to be so much more powerful with it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Who, from your perspective, embodies that person, that practitioner, that health coach, that thought leader, who not only operate from the heart, but also have very powerful hands as well? You know, that they can also use these type of technologies and platforms as a way to create the kind of impact they want to create. Are there ones, people that you saw, you're like, oh, wow, I'm really impressed and inspired by this particular human being doing this thing. Yeah. You bring up, that was the genesis in many ways of Health Coach Institute, ultimately to go back to your original question there. Like I, I was on a quest of working with and checking out thought leaders. Like I was basically trying to uh, generate leads for thought leaders. Mm -hmm. um, but doing that like one-off doesn't work because those thought leaders don't have the engine to really monetize those leads to put mm. business speak into this. So realizing that, oh, wow, I really need to create the, the whole thing, the engine, because it's a really, this is about distribution and customer acquisition. And if you're going to do that, it's not just about content and ideas and thoughts. It's you need to create the engine of distribution. And it was now is, okay, so we're doing that. 
how do we best apply that engine? And uh, yeah, got introduced to Stacey and Carrie through this masterminding that I, I was doing and went to their live event and I was blown away. Like, I was just like, oh, this is, this is a little form of heaven. You got all these empowered women, mostly, right? It's 90% and, and they're collaborating and they're sharing all their exact strategies, like exact tactics, completely paying it forward. No kimono completely open, turning everything that happens that would be wrong into a lesson and a teaching lesson. And so modeling everything they're doing built into the, the thing they're teaching. I just thought it was brilliant. I was like, this is brilliant. And so, yeah, committed to partnering with them and amplifying what they were teaching. And ultimately, the genesis of this, though, was believing in coaching. That ultimately, I met a lot of coaches that I'm inspired by. And it was through, it was through the impact of coaching on my my the steering of my mind ultimately so what of your mind sorry the steer coaching helped me steer my mind mm -hmm. yeah it just it helped me be efficient with using my mind for what matters to me and i wanted to see that as a discipline just i wanted i think healthcare should be mostly coach coaching we spend trillions of dollars on healthcare, we spend almost nothing on that. So the world I think we should be building looks so different than what is. Mm. And I, I, yeah, just one step at a time, one person at a time, and starts with me. And am I being a human that cares and that is standing for what matters? And then. Yeah, I. Yeah. Whenever I get too expansive with world change, I got to come back to me. Yeah. So from you didn't say this, but it almost feels like coaching is a is a human right, especially I, in the world of healthcare. I do, I do. I think it's you brought up like, is it hardware, software? Mm -hmm. like what is the soft skills that we need? I think we need to work with our inner child and our that didn't get parented the way we would have wished by not only our parents, but by society. And so coaching is how I, how I talk to myself, how I lead myself to better decisions, mm -hmm. how I make better moves that aren't very hard. No, they don't take a lot of time. They just take a lot of guts. Yeah. If you really think about it, most of the actions that we ask coaching clients to take on, they're actually not difficult. What makes it difficult is the internal resistance, the fears that's made up, the constructed things that's, you know, they try to do everything else, but this thing that we ask them to do. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, but I gotta do this. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, let's see, where do I begin? There's a lot of questions I could ask. 
Are there technologies that from your point of view that can augment this whole world of coaching? Let's, let's say AI-based coaching or AI-based uh, questionnaires. So that way we can really- I've explored it, I've invested in it, I've created versions of it. I think they're assists. Mm -hmm. I think ultimately the most powerful thing we could use technology for is nudging. Mm -hmm. Get people to the appointment. Get mm -hmm. people alive. Get people to the thing. Showing up is so much of it. And I don't know. I don't buy that technology. We're going to, why would we be motivated to serve a technology? Maybe because it gets socially shared. And if we don't show up, we're going to not, I don't, I haven't seen it yet. I think we show up for each other. I think, I don't want to let you down, CK, because I respect you. Mm. I respect you. I don't want to waste your time. You're mm. not investing in me because you have no choice. Like, this is co-created and, like, you've bet on me like I bet on myself. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I'm a recovering cerebralist, right? I, I, I see technology as an amplifier, as a multiplier. It certainly doesn't replace or displace human functions, but it's a great way to make some of the, shall we say, lesser important tasks, delegate that away to technology per se. So when I ask questions like AI assist, therapist or things like that. These are just some of the technological side of me. Think about can we and can we outsource maybe some of the not so important things. Uh, I think I came across a TED talk that actually talked about human beings are funny. So I think there is an AI bot of some sort. Essentially, they, they play an AI best friend, basically. And people share really intimate things to AI bot, even though they know that it's a machine because precisely because it's a machine, because and then the machine wouldn't judge them. So that way they're actually able to be more vulnerable and open because they can just share openly because then they know that the other side, there's no judgment there. Wow. But there's an interesting dichotomy. We do want to interact with a human at the same time. I also want to know that I won't be judged for whatever fucked up ideas I have about the world or myself. Yeah. Great points. And to each their own, I guess. I'm, I have found that we probably can land at a place where AI is really doing a lot of the work. But I think to get at the initial real deep work of resolving inner conflict and just, I think to feel, to be seen is to be loved. And I don't experience being seen by an AI bot. <laughs> I'm not imposing myself. I'm just. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I, I haven't felt seen by an AI bot either. <laughs> and in fact, if I ever notice I'm talking to AI on the phone, then I'm like, okay, whatever. Right. I cannot care about you. Yeah. yeah. I think that's it. Like I, for me, care is still at the, like at the 
the baseline of why what value is like yeah so especially coaching right it's not a utility it's a it's a human thing i'm sharing sort of the internal content of my mind and really the most intimate part the most fucked up part right the the most primal the most fear or whatever it may be to another human being as a way to purge as a way to alleviate this internal pressure that I have no other ways of purging yeah yeah or just having a conversation with one part and another of like, oh why is this angry righteous person in there mm -mm -mm. What, what's the, what the what what are their needs what are they here for what how have they protected me so what are some of the ways because then you had talked about nudging and really i think you also talked about behavior shift right or habit shift what have you assembled upon that's been really useful to really make habits stick because if you look at most human beings they make new year's resolution but by january 6 7 or on the 14th new year's resolution is gone <laughs> So, so what have you discovered around habit changing or, or nudging that yeah, it's, seems really useful? It's really, I guess on a the meta level is like our whole life is built around rewards and incentives to create the behavior we want. So we get points or get money or yeah, get friends to look a certain way. So it's external validation. And in many ways, like COVID and it is taking away a lot of the external stuff. So now it's, what is the, the real driver here? I think that's much more sustainable is intrinsic motivation. Mm. And I believe intrinsic motivation gets unlocked by getting clear on why people do what they do. So asking what matters to you and why, what's important to you and why, and helping people unlock their intrinsic motivation for change is a much more sustainable way. And this is proven with the motivational interviewing and the research around using that to help people who are addicted. It's because ultimately you're not going to tell me to do anything. And I'm not going to tell myself to do anything at this point. I've broken that trust way too many times. So can you say more about that? Just well, like this, it's been all rewards, incentives, punishment, rewards. We don't trust ourselves. We congratulate ourselves or beat ourselves up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or we get that from the outside or we fear it from the outside. But we're not actually like generative where it's, I do this because my body feels so effing alive when I'm doing it. And when, I, that's priceless. So I think the biggest piece around habit change is getting clear. So journaling, like just why does it matter? But this is where I believe in personal development. I believe in workshops. I believe doing the work curriculum of some sort that has you 
asking you you real the question the questions that really matter. Like I I I found Tony Robbins back in 1998 through tapes that my brother shared with me. Totally changed my world. Just exposed me to ways of using this brain again that allowed me to use it for me, not to be used against me. Yeah, I like that. So from your point of view, in getting to the core of the intrinsic motivation and really journaling is a great tool to get to the source of the why. Is that an accurate recap of what you just said? Yeah, that's a great recap. Yeah. Cool. So one thing, one model that we share on this podcast a lot is if you think about consciousness as a concentric circle, there are four layers, right? One is the where outer layer is perception. What I think you think of me. And the next layer down is personality. What I want you to think of me. The next layer down is identity. I think of me. And the next layer down is that super consciousness or awareness, the ever present observer. <clears throat> so what you're describing as a journaling, as a way to keep asking yourself that question, why, as a way to dig deeper past these different layers or slash constructs. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I and, find journaling so healing mm -hmm. like from a, like a purging of grief, a purging of anger, like whew, almost to the point where it's when I'm really going through it, it's the only thing that I can do to relieve what it feels like crazy tension mm. that is singing okay great say more about that you're speaking to a aspiring singer right okay. not, not a professional singer but you're speaking to an aspiring singer yeah when, go ahead and say more about going, that. when i was going through my divorce the only thing i could do to keep my heart open was hum that i was all the time like I was so angry and my mind would go into thoughts of whatever, betrayal, loss, anger, effed upness, what's wrong with it, all the unfairness that I, the only thing I could do was hum. And it would just like, it was like this light vibration within my body that reminded like my heart to stay open. Go figure. And hum anything specific or just hum? Yeah, I do play the piano, so I do. I tend to have a lot of songs in my head all the time, and but they tend to be simple. They like I, yeah, I have a grief song that I created, and that was like that goes, ha 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 and then just go with it just keep it and roll with it and go bigger and bigger until you, you can't think through that you just you're just expanding i like it so no words it conjure up certain emotions 
and then you go bigger and bigger as a way to, to allow yourself to purge the internal neurotic emotions or thoughts yeah that are yeah yeah relentless thoughts so one thing i actually started to do this is i'm sharing it publicly i'm sharing with you now is this concept of emotional tabata do you know the physical exercise called tabata no okay cool so invented by this Japanese guy with last name Tabata, hence the word, hence the ritual or protocol Tabata. The whole idea is 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off for a total of eight rounds. So a total will be four minutes. So you do 20 seconds on of any kind of high intensity exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's boxing, push-ups, burpees, whatever it is that you love to do, and it's high intensity. 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off for a total of eight rounds. And it's, according to the creator, is one of the most efficient exercises that one could do. So similarly, I do that for emotions as a way to shift my way of being slash emotions. Wow. So would be, let's say, a joy practice being joyous for 10, uh, 20 seconds, 10 seconds off, or rage, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, or a total of eight rounds. And why I did that, and you're like, that's weird, right? Why do you want to do that, CK? For me, as someone who is, I feel ways of being, emotions, our thoughts, even our spirit, they're like muscles right? So if we go to the gym to exercise our muscle, similarly, we can also exercise our emotionality, we can exercise other ways of being as well. So that way, when the circumstances calls for ways of being or uh, emotions, I'm no longer uncomfortable, because it's outside of my range. Wow. Yeah, and I've been doing this emotional Tabata for the last few weeks, and it's been tremendous. I actually really enjoy it, and it also is a great self-regulating tool. It's also great for any kind of purging as well, because you can just right away extend that range of emotionality. Check it out. So what are the, what's the series? Do you have a sequence of emotions that you go through? Mm -mm. So think of it more just purging or whatever you're dealing with as an example. So what does it look like? Yeah. So let's say for the purpose of extending my emotionality as an example. So I actually switch out from joy to rage back and forth. Wow. So 20, 20 seconds joy, 10 seconds rest, 20 seconds rage, 10 seconds rest, going back and forth. For I'm actually curious to see it. <laughs> uh, right now in this moment? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's loud. Yeah, it's loud. Yeah. But I'm happy to show you after the podcast. Cool. Yeah. So the whole idea of it is to bring it to 100%, whatever that 100% looks like. And the whole point, again, think about physical exercise. The point is to push 
your range, right? Say if you can only lift five pounds, great. Go, let's say six pounds, a little bit more, a little bit more. So that way at the end of it, because of this quote unquote acute stress, you can actually self-regulate your, you know, physical machinery, right? So this is a way to do it. Love that. It reminds me of the, the haka in New Zealand haka, if you, just that primal dance. Yep. And uh, I do that on the trampoline with my kids. How and do you haka feel, on the trampoline? Like, like, <clears throat> like on the trampoline though, so I'm jumping, yeah. I'm like going crazy. But yeah. I feel amazing after doing that. Yeah, really tapping into that primal uh, aspect of who we are, especially as men, I think is very important. Especially the whole idea of tapping into the rage and anger side of things. I don't think we do it enough. Now, doing it in a healthy way, of course. If we can, again, tap into that primal, that root chakra energy, it's part of you know who we are as men, our masculine side of things. I know it's, I have a lot of passion for men's work. Haven't lived into that one yet to the degree that I'd like. I've participated in men's groups for years and obviously do what I do, but I think there's more. When I think about what we need as men and how we're, ah, we're just not being, there's no structures to really serve how hard it is to be a man right now. From my, from my vantage point, relative to how we were raised, likely raised, what we're required to do now, the level of flexibility and behavioral flexibility and emotional flexibility that we're supposed to take on now. I think it's a lot to ask for and we need help. Yeah, say more about that. Have you come across, what have you come across to be the most useful for you personally in terms of finding that balance between one's masculine uh, and feminine, especially as a man? I've been part of men's group for at least eight, nine years from New York City changes, different groups uh, over the years. But that just that place where you get super real with other men, I think is priceless. I think it's just really helpful because you get perspective from a group of people that are either it's gonna be something that like you learn from or something you forgot that gets re-reflected back to you. And for me, I credit uh, like my, my staying in on the men's group with staying in community and ultimately continuing to co-parent with my ex-wife. Mm, mm, mm. I don't think I would have done that. I think I would have made, have made, I think I might've made moves that were just coming from a really contracted hard place. And it, the men's group that I was part of reflected that back to me. It's, Sometimes when things are hard, it's easy to anchor back on power and control. Mm -hmm. And I was told that you can have all the power in the world. You just can never use it. 
Say more about that. What do you mean? If you use your power in a way that doesn't work for others, you lose all trust. So yeah, you might get what you want, but you lost. Yeah. You're penny wise, but pound foolish. Yeah. And, but that's an easy, we fight so hard for power in this world. And then when we get it, we realize we can never use it. That's the irony. Because if you actually use your power in a way that is not in collaboration, you're basically creating enemies. And so it's this dance of, yeah, power, good. We want more and more heart-centered people in power, making good decisions for themselves and others. But ultimately, you can also shortcut to just collaborating with good people and trust that power comes from that. I would say that to myself, Eric, younger self, Eric, you don't have to work so hard for power. You can actually just shortcut it and be a good human. Can you actually make it more concrete? Principally, like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but how do you, how do you shortcut it to work with other people in power? Hmm. kind of building, building or for me, it was like needing to build all these organizations and this capital and this money to like, was, was actually not what I was going after in some ways. It was like, go, I was going after the, the ability to move the world in a way that was aligned with my heart and live my own life in a way that was aligned with my heart. That's what I was going after. And I didn't have to build all that to have that. Mm. I could have just gone after that. You want to build, you're inspired by these people doing this thing. Go get carried. You don't have to build that yourself and control it. Or, or you don't like, you don't always have to do it all to, to get someplace. And I, I think my life really, Things unlock when you look at everything as partnership. Mm. I don't know, need to know media buying to the degree I used to 20 years ago, like I did, because I get to partner on that. I see. So you don't have to basically master all of the domains in, let's say, in the area of marketing, as an example. You don't need to know, you know, be, be a PhD in media buying. You can actually just partner up with someone who's a domain expert in media buying is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't have to, and you don't have to have all the money before you do the thing. You can actually find people who have a similar passion, who have money, but they're looking for a young, I'm looking for that person right now. I'm looking for my younger self, me to, to take the wisdom and potentially my access to resource and distribution and, and use it for good. So there's people like younger self, Eric, there's people like me looking for people like you. Okay. So let's jam on that for a moment. Younger Eric CK, what would you advise them to do tactically as a way to 
use their superpowers for good with the strategy or with the methodology that you had just shared about through partnership, through opening one's heart. Yeah. What would you say? Like they have a desire to make a difference in the world. Yeah. Then what? What would they do? Other than joining, I would would make. I I would start filtering my world for inspiration. So I would what what podcast most inspire me? What education is most inspiring to me? And I would reach out to the people over LinkedIn, to the people that actually inspire you, and see if you can have a, a conversation. Because even it's not about what you get from that person. It's about what you learn. And you're going to learn. And if you do have that conversation, you're going to learn that people want to help you. They want to introduce you to people. They want particularly like, again, you're coming from a place of inspiration. That's going to feel good. You cared enough to be inspired by this person's action. And you want to learn more about it so you can do it in the world or learn more about it so you can serve or learn more about it to learn about other people who might be doing this. Whatever you're going for, it's there for you. You just have to follow the where your inspiration is leading you. What do you want to learn? I guarantee not enough people are learning it. And you get to pursue it then. I, that's anyhow, I, I, that's been my motto, I guess, of just if I wish for more of it, other people wish for more of it. Yeah. Let me share tactically with the younger CK and perhaps I would jot some more ideas from you as well. I was recently, recently came across Naval Ravikant's writing and he made a point that actually well, I thought that was quite, uh, quite poignant, very insightful. He said, the whole idea of making an impact is leverage, right? And then here are some of the things that you can, um, basically make impact while you sleep, the use of technology, the use of media, and then coming from your heart, share your message. It doesn't really matter what is it that you share you can just share your commitment throughout and then through iteration people would receive your energetic transmission and those that resonate with you will reach back to you right and then continue on following your internal resonance what actually makes you feel more alive so if you enjoy doing podcasting keep doing that thing and then partner with the likes of those uh, mentors that you resonate with and then actually add value to them. So it's not just taking from them, actually add value to them, whether it be helping them share their social media posts, the message that they're trying to share or introduce uh, potential hires or investors or partners for them. So that way, so these are some of the easiest way that I see for the younger CK who have a lot of desire, but who don't necessarily yet have the platform to make the kind of impact that he wants to make. Yeah. I think what I would say to all of what you said, and I would add to that is stand for what you believe in and share it. That like marketing at the end of the day is just like caring and sharing. 
and the things you're into, Eric, the world needs, but they don't know it yet. And so even though people look at you are like, why, what, why are you doing? What does that do for you? All this doubt, like you knew it was serving you and you could have shared that more boldly. And again, I got there. I'm not, but there's a way that I knew it and I didn't share it. I knew it and I kept it to myself. I, I just was, I was almost like following people without sharing that I was learning all, getting all this wisdom and not sharing it. And I, yeah, I felt there was like a selfishness in some ways to like my hoarding of good stuff. Don't hoard good stuff. Share it. And then in the sharing, you become uh, someone who's caring enough to share. Yeah. Let's actually spend a little bit more time on this whole idea of self-doubt. I would say the nature of lifelong learners is we're always pushing the limit of our knowledge and learning by definition is going outside of our knowledge that's by definition that's what learning is yeah if you're a lifelong learner there's always new things to learn new humilities and new new understanding and oh i didn't know about this before so by definition if you're a lifelong learner you're always at the edge of this like, I know this, but I, and at the same time, I don't know these other things or using your language. I wonder right at that edge. So for me, self-doubt has always been a quote unquote problem as well. If I look at it as a problem and I, and it was a journey for me to get more and more comfortable in the space of not knowing in the space of, I wonder in the space of, oh, okay. So what are some of the tools and techniques or mental models that you use as a way to quell this idea of self-doubt for you? Yeah. This is probably my thing. This is the thing. And it's the idea of a 1% moves. Mm -hmm. There's always a 1% move that gets you over 50% of the result. And... Uh, it actually comes from Pareto's principle of 80-20, mm -hmm. but then you get into the 80-20 of the 20%, and then the 80-20 of that 4%, you get at the 1%. So yeah. There's only 1% move, mathematically. And in your personal life, in your business, and all you have to do is that. Each day, all I needed to do was what I thought was the 1% move for that day. That's it. Everything else is gravy. And so when you're dealing with self-doubt, you're, you're thinking too much. You're prioritizing too much. You're trying to take care of too much. You've overcommitted yourself. You've said yes to too many things. You haven't said no enough. And you're not giving yourself the time and space to think about what actually matters today. What's my 1% move in my relationship? What's my 1% move in my family? What's my 1% move in my business? 
And usually it's reaching out to someone over like whether it's text or that matters. It's I need a perspective to make a decision. I don't have it. I need to reach out to this person. I need to have a conversation with this person. I feel like a disconnect. I feel like I they did they misunderstood me and I could feel their tension and they might leave. I need to lean in on that conversation even though I want to avoid them. It's that's it. It's what's the where are you pretending? Where are you avoiding? That tends to be your 1% move. Mm. I like that. Where are you avoiding? Yeah. Yeah. Where are you pretending? Where are you most uncomfortable? Yeah, that's it. Because you brought up the comfort zone piece. Mm -hmm. It's not about necessarily what you know or don't know that makes you uncomfortable. It's putting yourself into a place where you feel strong emotions that are uncomfortable to feel. And usually that relates to fear of rejection mm -hmm. or fear of activation. Mm -hmm. My fear, if I think I'm gonna activate you, then I wanna avoid that. Yeah, I like and that a lot. But chances are that activation is exactly what this friendship needs. Bring back, you know, a little callback, being that mirror, right? That, that truth sayer that you had talked about during radical candor. Yeah. 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 That one. That one. <laughs> <laughs> it actually takes, I mean, for, I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it takes courage and willingness to even risk the relationship to say that especially if it's coming from love, not force, not authority. Because mm -hmm. it's actually much easier to just withhold, to not say anything. It is. And it's and that's probably, we talk about self-doubt, it's probably mm -hmm. where I have the most doubt of myself at this point. Mm -hmm. That dance of what's the right balance of like hard truth and holding a loving like center within and is it coming from judgment or is it coming from patience? Is it coming from resentment? What's it coming from? Mm -hmm. uh, and can I get clean? And until I'm clean, I don't speak radical truth. So I journal, I get clear, but mm -hmm. I don't just because yeah. it's tricky, particularly if like intimate relationships, yeah. Yeah, these are yeah. tender. We got tender hearts. Yeah. So yeah, I think thoughtful and hold it as sacred and give it the time, space, and the writing. Like, yeah, radical candor. I think we could radical candor with a lot of consideration. I I honestly so we'll come back to the whole idea or the protocols and the tools about self-doubt in a moment, but I want to talk about radical candor for a moment. I'm actually, I think radical candor, it's like the idea of communism. It's a really good idea on paper, but in practice, I just, I, in my mind, I think there needs to be a lubricant, right? A civility, the, 
yeah yeah i can't just boom go for the heart every time (laughs) based on what the book says i just don't think that's realistic because even for me it's difficult enough for me myself to face my own truth ayahuasca ceremony if someone another egoic person comes and tells me what i should be looking at it's even more difficult so (laughs) radical candy in my mind is a great idea but i just don't see in practice how that could be used in a productive way i I don't know yeah i look i I, oh my god i've been so much of that because of being surrounded by people who some of them are they're like radical truth tellers (laughs) yeah you're marrying one (laughs) yeah it must be i don't know i can't imagine to be easy oh (laughs) I mean, I was, no, it's a real source of anger because I saw it as not compassionate. Yeah. Not taking into consideration where I'm at. Like A to Z, you got to lead me from A to right. B. And I'm clearly not there. What I will say is similar to what plant medicine does. Truth shows you the gap. It's here's where I am. Here's truth. <laughs> and there might be a gap between what I'm. So you just told me something that hurts a lot because it revealed the gap. But I'm probably better off knowing that truth than not. But so it's this this weird thing because but I don't want to hear it all the time. Don't tell. Don't constantly remind me of the gap. Because that's not going to serve my spirit, which I need to protect. So that's not what it's about. It's about feeding your open heart, feeding your spirit. The gap is good to be aware of because we can then compassionately nudge ourselves to where we want to be. But it's not about showing me the truth and, oh, you should be there. Because that's the part that I really think messes the whole game up and breeds a lot of judgment, resentment, righteousness. So one thing that I think works that I've seen is using language, using words to say, I love you and I'm standing for this higher future that I see within you. Yeah. And then get into Here's what I see, blah, 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 as a way to empower you to stand into that higher future that I see. And that also that you say that you want, because yeah. I'm not imposing this future on you. I'm just reminding you what's something that you say. I love you. And I'm standing for this future that you say you stand for yourself. And I see here's a step that you could take. Whether or not you take it, it's completely up to you based on what you say. Do you want to honor? the commitment that you have said before. Yeah, I like that. And I would just add, I love you because, and I see all that you're navigating and then get to the part where you say the hard truth. But I think we need, we got to really work on like our appreciation muscle for exactly who we are, exactly where we are. If we're for ourselves or for another? 
for for ourselves and another. Like if you're gonna give people a hard truth, then I love you isn't enough. Mm-hmm. It's like I love you, and and here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a woman who's trying to be an amazing mom, holding their business together, like navigating this relationship change, like whatever it is, like I see you and you're an effing rock star. Start there. And then with that, I do though see you like not bringing your truth. I don't see you stepping into your leadership. I don't see you, whatever it is, that's true. I just, I know how powerful you are, can be, and you're not doing it. But it's because of my seeing of your greatness. Yeah. Thank you for that. Coming back to the whole idea of self-doubt, I recently came across a beautiful quote. I'd love to discuss it with you. It says that how audacious you are in pursuing your dreams and your goals is directly related to the amount of self-love you have and self-acceptance that you have. Oh, wow. Wow, that's great. I'd like to remember that, actually. Great, this is recorded. So it's <laughs> recorded in perpetuity. What do you think? As someone who you know, runs HCI, who holds space for health coaches, who stands for their hopes and dreams. What's your take on this? How valid or invalid do you feel this is accurate? I think it's a lot more fun if you live with that as that being true. That, uh, that if, yes, we can succeed by beating ourselves up, making ourselves wrong, fearing judgment, fearing looking good or not looking bad, you can do it. It's just not that fun. <laughs> it's true. So there's a better way. It works better. The people around you like it more because you're happier. So even if you're motivated to help other people and serve other people and it's not about you, do it for them <laughs> because you're going to be a better human for them. And it's, yeah, we just haven't been conditioned by this way of approaching our work, our motivation, our heart's desire. Yeah. Let me speak to the younger CK now. Yeah, the how ambitious you are depends on the level of self-love and self-acceptance you have. Yeah, try this on. What's the worst that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is that you actually have a more enjoyable time you know, going through this journey <laughs> versus waiting until some moments of achievement and then you can have fun. And then I could tell you, knowing what I know now, the satisfaction of achievement lasts nanoseconds for me. <laughs> it doesn't last. It doesn't last. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's so true. It's, oh my God, particularly if you've oriented your whole life towards what's not right. Yes. Fixed. What do I need to do? Yes. Which yes. is, I think, particularly if you're listening to this, probably the norm. Yes. And because right away the egoic mind would go, okay, that was long enough. What's next? 
and that satisfaction is now not good enough anymore it's already future oriented so i've done that so many times it's it's not a recipe for a great life <laughs> the, the thing on this one the game changer for me in making the switch was spending a year with the intention of not giving a fuck yeah essentially so i needed to almost push away everything in certain ways so that I could just choose what I was doing because I habituated to overcommitting to other people, to other ways, to being whatever I was supposed to be that I couldn't actually create the space to create what I want or do the one thing, the 1% thing that actually mattered that day. So let's make it a little bit more concrete. Yeah. For one person or the people that I really admire are the people who are truly themselves. They don't give a fuck about whatever. They're just, they're a master of the craft. They're, they're really good at their, their craft and they speak the truth. Dave Chappelle is a great example for me. He's very inspiring for me, even though I'm not a comedian. I just really appreciate his craft. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And he speaks the truth. He using comedy package it nicely and nice and funny but he delivers his truth about the paradox of society and then make it really funny and entertaining <clears throat> so i aspire to do not give it a fuck the way dave chappelle does well maybe not dave chappelle exactly but so how do you do that not to give a fuck more and more so this yeah. podcast has been tremendous right by having conversations getting real so more and more i'm habituating myself to speak my own truth so this is a tremendous and by the way thank you again for being on being my partner in this what other ways could one step into truth yeah i do think letting go of you got to create space for yourself first like you're not truth doesn't come from a scarce place if you're running on scarcity and not enoughness what's really going to be true what's true is you're scared and you're just like you're just grasping for whatever you could get so you got to get rid of create a little bit of space for yourself to, to get clear on what makes you come alive. What do you, when you learn about it, when you hear about it, like what sparks your heart? And I, so I'm trying to be practical with this, but ultimately if you're oversaturated, I was oversaturated with have tos, need tos, must, can't, everything. Like my family was in New York. I can't leave New York and create an intentional community. How would that ever happen? What world would that ever happen in? There's no reality that could have existed. But I needed to start saying no to things, getting clear on my how I want to spend my time, where I was not, where I was doing things that obligation that wasn't actually serving the relationship. So yeah, I guess I, I do come back to, if you're gonna live into an optimal life, 
you got to create the space for it. And I don't mean quit your job and do nothing. Choose and choose and prove to yourself that you could choose for yourself. So what I'm hearing is do a little Maria Kondo style of decluttering one's life to let go of things that are just dragging you down, right? In time, space, money, and relationships and emotions, all of that. Yeah, you might want to start with an autoresponder in your email that just says, I'm not, I'm actually taking a hiatus if you can. And right. I'm going to be slow to respond. And I love you. It might start there. What is the most radical thing you could do today? What's your 1% move to create more space for yourself? So in many ways, COVID is a blessing because it forces people to limit their external engagement. In yeah, this, it can this, be yeah. if you know how to navigate the addiction. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most of us do. So I, I think we're in a tough spot because externally referenced world needing to become intrinsically motivated without the resource to do it with a lot of things sucking at their attention. I don't know. I'm not very optimistic coming out of this, honestly, from an emotional and psychological well-being perspective. Because I don't think we've focused, our government hasn't focused, our media hasn't focused on taking care of ourselves. Yeah, I agree 100%. Before we move on to that part, is there anything else you wanted to say about... Oh, shit, I lost my train of thought. Are you talking about self-doubt, right? Right. Yes, thank you, thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to add around self Because one school of thought is, uh, let me go to a retreat center and let, let me be a monk on the mountaintop. And let me just devoid of all of my material attachments to focus on myself. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it is as a householder, right? Do it we can in the midst of all of our responsibilities. So I think what you said is creating that spaciousness using Maria Kondo's method or not is a great place to start, right? A radical thing to go to autoresponder in an email. Is there anything else tactically as a way to move towards not giving a fuck. It's the it's just the idea that a little of a little leads to a lot, and so you got to celebrate little wins. So I'm jumping to like your one percent move that gets you fifty percent of the result. You might want to just celebrate any one percent move in the direction of what you want. Mm. Start there, and just celebrate. Momentum begets momentum. And I'll share a little rhyme I wrote around this, which is, uh, keep doing what you're doing and you'll get what you got. Take the same exact pictures, get the same exact shot. Say you want to go places, but you really must not want to go anywhere if in a parking lot. You can hope to get lucky, ain't got much of a shot. You could pray for a savior, but you'll probably get squat. Can't stay in the cold if you want to get hot. What you really need, homie, is a booster shot. I'm just telling like it is that I hit it on the dot. Oh, look at that face. I must have hit a soft spot. No need to double down. Just drop a coin in the slot. Just jump on the horse. No need to ride at a trot. I'm just asking for a date. No need to tie the knot. A little of a little often leads to a lot. I love that. 
Thank you for sharing. That was awesome. What would you say to someone who is learning to flow? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm actually learning. So are you really? I, I am. And then, and then here, here's the intention behind it. I have no dreams of becoming a rapper, but I do love the craft of words. And, and pauses and vocal varieties and dynamics and rhyming and things like that. So what would you say to someone who's learning? Man, I'm so inspired by these conscious, empowering rappers that are out there. And you're actually finding them in the Christian rap realm. Mm. Uh, and they're, But they're putting out verses that are just so inspiring to me. And so one is called KB, letter K to the second letter, B. And then another guy is Andy Minio. And these, they're just, they're, they're, I'm blown away by how we've got this art form called hip hop, but it's not really being used to convey how much wisdom we have to share. And these are folks who are doing it, who are putting in that work. And, and so for me personally, I do it because I like to write. And sometimes I like to turn what I write into rhyme. And that's it. I, I don't share it that often. Maybe I will more going into the future. Now that I'm, I'm playing the piano more, I have dreams of, of writing songs and we'll see. But ultimately, it's been it, it came from my own heart wanting to get clarity and wanting mantras that like I was living by. It's, you know, it's, what do I say to myself? And if I'm rapping to myself and I'm like, bam, and I'm going down the ski mountain rapping, like I'm not falling because I'm because like because I'm I'm owning it. Rap helps me own it. I love that. So it's like rhyme plus flow plus self-affirmation in your own voice. Yeah, equals the part of what we love about hip hop is ego. There is a bit of ego in it. It is. I'm great. There is a that. But it's playful and it's fun and it can be deep. And it could hit right at the heart of the matter, similar to comedy in that way. Do you feel that self-affirmation helps either affirms one's identity and or inventing a new one? Oh, that's great. I think they're both true. I love this uh, archetype idea of like athletes becoming an archetype before stepping onto the court or... Beyonce becoming Sasha Fierce before stepping out on stage. Me, like with my magic wand before stepping into a live encounter where I don't know what's going to happen next. Like it just, whatever gives you the um, strength to, to, to do it, to, to, to step into the unknown, I guess. Mm. That's what I'm doing right now. And I, 
this wearing this vest, this is an archetype. Mm. Like, style, like noble warrior. Like this represented noble warrior to me. We got mm. like art in the back. Like my attraction to even doing this conversation was what you decided to call this. Mm. Thank you. Wow, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Do you mind doing some rapid fire questions and we'll complete? All right. All right. Thank you so much. What movies have changed the way you look at reality? You're going to ask rapid fire questions like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, let's think about this. I can't help it, dude. This is just the way my brain works. <laughs> wow. So I'm really struggling with this one. I, I most recently social dilemma, honestly, just in regards to what's top of mind and having more awareness around the problem is has been eye-opening for how I see where we're going. That ultimately, if our if it's all about our attention and the monetizing of our attention, we're entering into a losing game. And so for me, from a government and policy perspective, we actually have to change the game. If we're gonna, we've gotta, <laughs> if we're gonna bring a whole network of society together, then what there, what has people winning can't just be about monetizing attention, but actually how helpful are you to one another? How helpful is what you contribute to the greater? So there's some way that I, I'm, it's getting me to think about, then what are we going to do? Yeah. Um, another thing that popped up into my head, much older, is Braveheart. Mm -hmm. Some way that movie touched me. It touched my heart. It activated the hero in me. It activated the freedom fighter in me. Talk about an archetype. Like warrior archetype. I'm not like, I don't like, I don't hold myself as like warrior, right? Like I do like from a traditional sense, but from a working through this human experience sense, hell yeah. I'm a warrior. Yeah. Um, and yeah, not in not in the battlefield per se, but in the battlefield of life, of standing for what I think matters, standing for my own integrity, my own spirit. Like F yeah, I've been a warrior. For sure. That's why you're here. <laughs> the whole idea of noble warrior, warrior is people who are willing to step into the discomfort. 
you know, and then really stand for their highest self, their highest truth. So thank you for, for that. Second question, what would you say to a health coach who are ex experiencing self-doubt about their own dharmic path? Go back to service. Be you and serve someone else in your life that needs it. Don't do it for anything, but because you can help. And when we're in service, our confidence builds because we remember the value of our care. And then we can re-look at things from a perspective of not ourselves. Ultimately, when we're worried about self-doubt, we're worrying about ourselves. Yeah, thank you. What do you do to not take yourself too seriously? I have dogs surrounding me. I love them so much. I play the piano. I really am, I, man, jump into an instrument. Now is the time. Like you could learn it on YouTube. It's doable. It's not that hard. It's four chords. Just learn to play. I like, I just think there's so much facility and just mental break from playing an instrument. And deliberately choose not to take yourself seriously. I, I, I cho I've chosen essentially to take on an archetype of play. Like I, like my role in some ways is to be a playful person, similar to what you've worked on. Like I've worked on the muscle of play, like mm. being silly, even though I deeply care, I feel tragedy often. Like I've taken on the archetype of cultivating how, how to play and to cultivate my own joy. Is there a book for someone who is inspired to take on the play what? archetype? Uh -huh. um, looking on my shelf right now and something. Or a podcast or anything like that? A video or a character. That I'm like, I'm trying to like that's that's what hip hop is for me. Like mm. hip hop play. Yeah. Music. Just yeah. Honestly, it's just it. It, it was more the de the decision to integrate play into my life that it actually helped everything else. Yeah. So, I'm asking that question for myself as well, because I, as you've experienced the last two hours, it's easy for me to get in like very serious and very heady, very meta. But uh, there's an Indian doctor who teaches something that we do in the community. And I'll do with you really quickly. And it goes okay. like, very good. Very good. Yay. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yay. And the, you do it three times. Very good. 
We sing a song before our potluck dinners, and sometimes it's like the ABCs or Twinkle or something else. But just like, just a let, let it in. I guess the, this life is. I believe that, like, fun is one of our five core principles as a company. Having fun. Yeah. Because that's what are, what is going to attract you, CK, to the world. It's fun. People want to be. People want. They want to feel like they enjoy themselves with you, and so cultivating it, I think, is a marketing move. I think it's a business driver. Yeah, one of the insights that I got from ceremony is, if not for joy, then what's all this for? Wow. So that really shifted the way I look at this. Last question. In the last five years, what new behaviors, belief, habits have most improved your life? The decision to choose love and acceptance even though everything in my body and ego was uh, fighting against that. Mm. Like ultimately lean into love and acceptance, even if it hurts. Mm. I did that with my ex-wife mm. and it took years, but I did it. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I took care of their three-year-old baby this weekend. Mm. Um, and it was her first sleepover. Uh, mm. And I was literally, I had my hand, I was consoling her on her back. And I was like thinking, oh my God, like what kind of cosmic moment is this? That, that I am like comforting, consoling the baby of my former wife. I can't tell you. Just, yeah, I felt like I was doing God's work, honestly. Mm. And, and so, yeah, what's the best thing to do is choose it. Choose love and acceptance. Mm. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your love with us, sharing your wisdom with us, sharing your story with us. Who you are is definitely a noble warrior. What you've shared with us, the challenging times during separation with your ex-wife and now a beautiful moment with her new child. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, CK. Really, pleasure. For those people who are interested in, in learning more about HCI, where, where should they go? Yeah, just uh, check out healthcoachinstitute.com and got lots of videos on YouTube. You could check out, we have live, like three live events every week or two, three live events every week that you could check us out and get to know us as people. And uh, yeah, just learn more about what we're about. Beautiful.
Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you so much, CK.